It's uh, 9.15 at the Alameda County Courthouse. The uh, Alameda County Courthouse looks more like a fort this morning than a courthouse. There seem to be policemen at every opening. And uh, there's a class of high school students that wanted to get in to observe the proceedings that were going on upstairs. And they were told by the policeman to get away from the door in very abrupt terms. Uh, no one seems to be very friendly around here this morning. It's uh, about 10.15. We're at Defremery Park in Oakland. Bobby Seal hasn't arrived yet from the county courthouse, but we expect him uh, in a few minutes, and uh, then there should be a short rally, after which everyone will get on the buses and be off. Uh, apparently, I'm going to be able to ride on one of the buses. A young panther named William Wesley came with me in the car from the Alameda County Courthouse, and he, along the way, he pointed out quite a number of the unsightly scars that are West Oakland as, as we came to Defremery, as we walked around the park for a while after we got here. And uh, I was put into a mood that that made me very aware of why the Panthers have come into existence. Just seeing all the cracked and drying wood and rotten houses. Here's Bobby now. So apparently everyone's here that's going to be here. About a hundred people all together, I guess. It's 10.40. Seal is now being interviewed. Excuse me, please. And that uh, laws not made serve black people. And uh, we understood then when Mulford, in conspiring with the police department, Oakland Police Department, were trying to get that law through, that uh, they were acting as racists. And why didn't they make a law 100 years ago when the Ku Klux Klan started murdering black people? Why didn't they make a law against the Birchites and the Minutemen, etc.? They had guns and were, in fact, murdering, brutalizing, and intimidating black people with guns. Uh, so the law was not the thing. We were pointing out that the law is racist. It's part of the racist system that, in fact, the law was made to oppress black people and not serve black people. As Huey P. Newton says, laws are made by mankind to serve mankind. Once they stop serving mankind, then they must be changed. Uh, is there a statement on the part of the Black Panther Party concerning the supposed confessions from members of yes. the party who were imprisoned? Yes, there's uh, We have legal affidavits filed in the uh, federal suit that was filed by Charles R. Gary, our lawyer and by the members who are suing the city of Oakland, Mayor Redding, J. Frank Koki of Alameda County District Attorney, Hines, and Chief Gaines of the Oakland Police Department. These legal affidavits have been filed to show and give validity to this fact that the police department did in fact use unconstitutional measures and brutality, such as pointing a gun at one brother's head and making him sign a statement that he did not see. This happened over and over. Any of those, all statements that have been made were made because of police harassment and intimidation with the confines of the jail. But we denounce those statements. We denounce them grossly. And it's primary a conspiracy on the part of the Oakland Police Department and the leadership of the government here, which has been trying to make sure that they try and destroy the Black Panther Party, both physically by murdering and brutalizing and publicly. Uh, I'm reading a telegram here, Western Union telegram from Jesse Unruh, Speaker of the Assembly, to Mr. Bob Seale, Chairman of the Black Panther Party of America. Sir, I am informed by the press that some of your membership will visit the state capitol on Thursday, May 2nd. Seats are available in the third floor gallery of the capitol building for visitors. Rules applicable to all of our visitors prohibit cameras or firearms. Sincerely, Jesse Unruh, Speaker of the Assembly. It's 11 o'clock and we're just uh, getting away from Oakland. Should to, we should be in Sacramento about 12.30. There's a camera team here from KQED. They're going to do an interview with Bobby here on the bus. They're working frantically trying to get their, their light meters to register properly and they get people put in the right place. We're just crossing the Sacramento River now, and it's about 11.15 seen many highway patrol cars today. They've been passing us. We've been passing them. 
there's one in front of us now who seems to be slowing down as if to sort of keep pace with us. He's watching us as we go by to see uh, to see what's going on on the bus, I suppose. There was a photographer standing up at the front of the bus taking pictures of uh, Kathleen and Bobby being interviewed here, and the bus driver warned him to sit down because the highway patrol do seem to be watching us. The highway patrolman has now circled us twice and seems to come by very intently in his rearview mirror as he goes by us. Bobby apparently is so exhausted that <clears throat> during the interview that uh, KQED was getting with Kathleen, who was sitting in the seat next to him, he was uh, sound asleep. It's 12.15 and we're coming uh, to the outskirts of Sacramento. There's a car that's been pacing us with a large sign in the rear window which says Free Eldridge Cleaver. He uh, seems to buzz us, go around us, drop back, and come up again, uh, sort of uh, dancing with the uh, CHP. Just as we crossed the bridge into Sacramento, we passed a parked police car that was uh, sitting behind a shed out of sight. Had four policemen in it, and they watched us very intently as we went by. I would say, from the looks of things, that uh, they're prepared for just about anything today. Now going down towards the state capitol building. As we are getting off the bus here, there are quite a few police in the area. There's a car right next to us with four policemen in it. There are several around the bus with walkie-talkies. Everybody's being watched very closely. There are also a number of newsmen in the area. There's Bobby walking towards the state uh, capitol building. There are no police in evidence now as we walk towards the building. Kathleen and Bobby are leading the way. They've been followed by a whole host of newsmen, plus other people who came along on the bus trip. Uh, with respect to last year, a year ago when Huey P. Newton ordered the delegation here to read a message to the black world concerning the racist uh, activities of the legislature, that same particular message that was read a year ago, I'll state it now. Some of you have copies. A statement by the Minister of Defense. Black Panther Party self-defense calls upon the American people in general, and the black people in particular, to take careful note of the racist California legislature, which is now considering legislature, that was one year ago, aimed at keeping the black people disarmed and powerless the very same time that racist police agencies throughout the country are intensifying the terror, brutality, murder, and repression of black people. At the same time that the American government is waging a racist war of genocide in Vietnam, the concentration camps in which the Japanese Americans are interned during World War II are being renovated and expanded. Since America has historically reserved the most barbaric treatment for non-white people, we are forced to conclude that these concentration camps are being prepared for black people who are determined to gain their freedom by any means necessary. The enslavement of black people from the very beginning of this country, the genocide practice on the American Indians, the confining, confining of the survivors of the reservations, the savage lynching of thousands of black men and women, the dropping of atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and on the cowardly and the cowardly massacre in Vietnam all testify to the fact that towards people of color the racist power structure of America has but one policy repression genocide terror and the big stick black people have begged prayed petitioned demonstrated everything else to get the racist power structure of America to right the wrongs which have historically been perpetuated against black people. All of these efforts have been answered by more repression, deceit, and hypocrisy. As the aggression of the racist American government escalates in Vietnam, police agencies of America escalate their repression against black people throughout the ghettos of America. Vicious police dogs, cattle prods, and increased patrols have been familiar sights in the black community. City Hall turns a deaf ear to the pleas of black people
for release from this increasing terror. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense believe the pending Malford Acts one year ago brings the hour of doom one step nearer. A people who have suffered so much for so long at the hands of a racist society must draw the line somewhere. We believe that the black communities of America must rise up as one man to halt the progression of a trend inevitably to their total destruction. That was a statement one year ago that I read here. It was delivered by our Minister of Defense, Huey P. Newton. He's been asked if he's running for the assembly. The people organized that the American people in general will take time to listen and stop allowing themselves to be duped by what's been said in the press concerning the Black Panther Party that they will begin to all understand the need to change the system, the very system that they live in, the very system that he, we have lived under in repression in this country for hundreds of years. It's necessary that we change it. I am saying that this is the seat of government, but I'm saying those in there and what they are doing is what has to be changed. Are you saying that you can change it with the vote now instead of with the guns? We're saying, like Malcolm X said, the ballot or the bullet. Why did you bring the guns up today like you did a year ago? What's the necessity of the guns? You know we represent guns and self-defense of black people in the black community. What influence do you think you can have here today? Then? What influence that we have here today is going to be based primarily on the fact that the Black Panther Party has not been destroyed by the conspiracy of the racist power structure, Oakland, San Francisco, police departments, the chief, the mayor, and Regan too, which we feel he's all in it too. There is a one o'clock meeting with delegates of the Peace and Freedom Party to discuss Eldridge's parole. We're at State Office Building Number One, which houses the State Parole Bureau for the uh, California Adult Authority. They're members of the Black Panther Party and the Peace and Freedom Party, and a former inmate of San Quentin to the California Adult Authority concerning parole. The first point is that we demand the reinstatement of Eldridge Cleaver's parole immediately. That. The way in which his parole was violated has been highly and totally irregular. At 3, around 2 a.m. in the morning, when he was in Highland Hospital in the emergency room, policemen came in and told him, you're on your way back to San Quentin, you're on your way back home. This is before any members of the adult authority had a chance to meet, before any action or any investigation could have been taken to file charges. He was perfunctorily booked at... Oakland City Jail, taken to San Quentin about 4.30 in the morning, and then taken to Vacaville, California, at which time there had yet been any charges filed against him. He was held a prisoner of the state of California in four different places, Highland Hospital, Vacaville, San Quentin, and the Oakland City Jail without his parole having been officially violated. Following that, he was held in solitary confinement, at Vacaville, where he was sent for medical treatment, then removed to the hospital, held under maximum security, not allowed any typewriter, any literature, any communication with the outside world, except uh, immediate visits from immediate family and his lawyer, which they also attempt to interfere with. Every time I visit him, I'm made to wait 45 minutes to an hour. His attorneys are asked to leave. We tried to send some private physicians to in, to check his condition out. The permission has been denied. Press that would like to interview him have had permission denied. His employer, Ramparts Magazine, has been prohibited from even mailing him copies of his own writings in the magazine. His publisher, McGraw-Hill, has been prohibited from receiving manuscripts from him. There is a total and absolute attempt on the part of the state adult authority to silence Eldridge Cleaver, who is a writer and a political prisoner in the state of California, and to deny him communication with the outside world. The vicious move, we feel, of political repression. The Peace and Freedom Party and the Black Panther Party in Alameda County in San Francisco and in Sacramento have coordinated a move to deal with this particular situation that I think Mr. Glazer could tell you something about. All right. What's your first name? Leonard Glazer. I'm the 
co-chairman of the Legal Defense Committee of the San Francisco Peace and Freedom Party. No, I'm not. I'm an ex-convict. I just come out of the state penitentiary at California Men's Colony, San Luis Obispo. The uh, Peace and Freedom Party is calling a conference of all of its attorneys in the state of California for the purpose of instituting a suit against the adult authority in the California Department of Corrections. We plan to challenge the adult authority, not only in the name of Eldridge Cleaver, of course, but in the name of all similarly situated parolees and convicts. We plan to challenge the present procedure with regards to the revocation of par parole. We will demand the right of an attorney at hearings. We will demand written reasons for revocation of parole. We will demand that uh, all prisoners be allowed full access to all newspapers that are legally permitted to all other citizens. We will demand the end of censorship of mail to any attorneys, to any courts, and to any private individuals on the mailing list of the uh, convict. We will demand that parolees be permitted to stay in the county where new charges against them are pre presented, if such are, so that they have a better chance to defend themselves against such charges rather than being sent 80, 90 miles away to the state penitentiary, making it impossible for their attorneys to have immediate consultations with them in the, in the def uh, presentation of a defense against these new charges. We will demand the blatant demand an end to the blatant discrimination against black nationalists and radicals by the adult authority in terms of parole release and in terms of even what penitentiary such prisoners are sent to. As you can see, we charge that Eldridge Cleaver was sent to Vacaville for the sole purpose of getting him away from the Bay Area, away from the Black Panther organization, away from his wife, and away from his attorney. Now, the in addition to the suit that we're going to institute on behalf of Mr. Cleaver and all other prisoners, we are going. We promise the adult authority that we are going to picket every single penitentiary in the state of California, up and down the state, including the conservation camps. We demand that the adult authority immediately pay a full minimum wage to all convicts whatsoever. At present, there are convicts in the state penitentiary who work 40-hour weeks for $3 a week. There are convicts who work 40-hour weeks for nothing. I did for three years. So we can, we can promise the adult authority that there will be no peace with, with regards to either our efforts outside of the penitentiaries or the efforts of our people inside of the penitentiaries until Eldridge Cleaver is released and until immediate reforms are instituted to make life palatable for the convict and for the parolee. We demand that the legislature in institute an immediate investigation of the, of the present activities of the adult authority, and we demand the firing of all members of the adult authority and a constitution of a new adult authority. We demand that all pro parole revocations go before a, a judge rather than before the adult authority itself. The adult authority are nothing more than politicians elected for very short terms by uh, appointed by, by the uh, governor for very short terms. They are completely in the pocket of the governor of the state of California, whoever he happens to be at the g given time. Thank you. Mr. Glazer, where are you from? San Francisco. And are you on parole now? No, I'm fully discharged. How do you spell your name? G-L-A-S-E-R. Why? To get me away from the San Francisco Bay Area. Are you in jail for? Possession of marijuana. And revocation of parole, of uh, probation due to my activities at the University of California during the free speech movement. That's why I was sent away from San Francisco County. No, I lived in Berkeley. Lived there for some years. I, I'd like to say that the, the, the uh, adult authority is just simply notorious for dealing with any political prisoners that it has. Black Muslims, for example, are just shipped around from penitentiary to penitentiary solely to harass them. They're, they're put in isolation. They're, they're, they're uh, uh, constantly broken up. Their meetings are not allowed. It, being a black Muslim is considered an offense in the eyes of the adult authority, whether it is a formal charge or not. They always seem to wind up doing more time than, uh, than the rest of the convicts for the similar crime. And generally speaking, all persons that have any politics, be it radical, be it black nationalist, are just simply persecuted by the uh, uh, local... Uh, 
institution authorities and by the adult authority. I can document this and we shall document this in the suit that we're going to bring against the adult authority. The adult authority works wholly as an agency to repress the political activities of the uh, convicts. Are you going to file that suit? It would probably be filed in either in San Francisco or in Sacramento. When? Uh, that's to be disclosed by the attorneys. Obviously, you know, we want to document the thing. We want it as soon as possible. Who are the attorneys? Have you decided yet? Well, uh, we, we can uh, name names. Harry will be, uh, who is uh, Mr. Cleaver's attorney, will be one. Alex Hoffman of Berkeley would be another. But we're going to have many, many more. We're holding a conference of all of the Peace and Freedom Party's lawyers in the state of California, and we have some hundreds. When will that be, the conference? Uh, the conference should be in early June in San Francisco. At a, at a date and time to be disclosed. What is your connection with the Peace and Freedom Party? I'm the uh, co-chairman of the Legal Defense Committee in San Francisco County. As soon as I got out, I joined the Peace and Freedom Party. There's also a statement from Mr. McCleary concerning the Elder okay. Speaker Defense Fund. Can you give us your yeah. full name, sir? Uh, Alex McCleary. Uh, I'm a member of the Peace and Freedom Party and of the Eldridge Cleaver Defense uh, Campaign. What we intend to do is uh, put light on this case, get information both nationally and internationally, um, so that uh, people around the world will see what the California Adult Authority uh, is doing here in violation of uh, many regulations uh, for Eldridge Cleaver particularly. This particular case of the revocation of parole of Eldridge Cleaver is not highly unusual in terms of the activities of the California Adult Authority, which have been going on for generations in a very vicious and authoritarian manner without any means of control by the citizens and the people who pay the taxes and the salaries of the members of this board. It just so happens that since Eldridge Cleaver is the author of Soul and Ice, a bestseller, a writer for Ramparts Magazine, a member of the steering, State Steering Committee of the Peace and Freedom Party, as well as the Minister of Information of the Black Panther Party, there's a tremendous amount of attention focused on his case, and therefore the activities of the California Adult Authority will be brought to light, not only in terms of him, but in terms of the entire operation of the Department of Corrections, and it will be brought under tremendous attack. I've just been told that uh, as Bobby left the State Capitol building in a private automobile to come back to the Bay Area, that there were some plainclothes policemen very carefully noting his license number and the type of car and were radioing the information on to other parties unknown. No doubt uh, Bobby was followed back to the Bay Area. I'm uh, sitting with Kathleen Cleaver. It's uh, 2.20. We're on our way back from Sacramento. And I'd like to ask her a few questions about what happened today and what's been happening with the Panthers recently. First thing I'd like to ask you, Kathleen, is uh, concerns the telegram you got this morning from uh, Mr. Unruh. Uh, I wonder if you have any comment uh, to make about that telegram. Well, I think that telegram reveals the accumulation of political power to the Black Panther Party since May 2nd. On May 2nd, 1967, the Black Panthers went to Sacramento with the intentions of making a statement to the black world concerning the legislature that Representative Mulford had introduced to change the gun laws. They were escorted mistakenly to the floor of the legislature instead of the visitors gallery by the press and asked to leave by the guards, which they did, harassed by the police who attempted to take their weapons and wanted to arrest them immediately, although they had no charges, for they had broken no laws. So finally, as the Panthers were on their way out of Sacramento, uh, had stopped at a gas station to uh, get some water in one of the cars, the, uh, nearly the entire police force of Sacramento vamped on them and arrested them on charges of a conspiracy to disrupt the legislature, at which point they were thrown in jail, most of the Panthers being put under $22,000 bail. The who was this hard reporter was had a hole put on his parole and had his parole revoked. That's the reception in 1967 of a group of legally armed Black Panthers. In 1968, we received a telegram yesterday from the Speaker of the House, Jesse Unruh, informing us of 
the fact that the visitors' gallery is on the third floor and ours it would be open and letting us know that no cameras nor firearms would be allowed. But you see it's a very clear-cut form of recognition and acknowledgement of the Black Panther Party that uh, has taken place in the past year. That we have, we did not indicate, we did not ask Speaker Unruh for anything, but he felt it incumbent upon him to send us a tell. I think that's a recognition of our power. What, uh, briefly, if, if, you, if you feel like making it briefly, was the purpose of today's trip to Sacramento? Today's trip, the purpose of today's trip was uh, similar to the purpose of last year's trip to inform the public that the Black Panthers were here as a political party with particular objectives and point of view. This was never gotten across last year. What was gotten across was a tremendous smear campaign was initiated by the press against the Black Panther Party and a year of intense repression and systematic destruction of the leadership and the functioning of the Black Panther Party initiated May 2nd, 1967. The purpose of this trip was to inform the public that the Black Panthers are here to stay. We have not been destroyed. We have been strengthened. And we have every intent to prevent the political intimidation and harassment that we've been subjected to. We also had a new purpose, that is, protesting and exposing the activities of the California Adult Authority in their violation of Eldridge Cleaver's parole quite illegally as a political act. At this point, we begin an intense campaign against the activities of the Adult Authority in the form of uh, creating a group of lawyers who will take cases of inmates in various prisons against the Adult Authority and the Department of Corrections on their denial of uh, reading materials to the prisoners. Uh, the only kind of reading materials they allow are very pro-establishment types things such as Reader's Digest, Look, and um, other low-caliber type publications. Playboy, Esquire, Ramparts, New Republic are all not allowed. We will be in touch with the publishers of these magazines through these lawyers and with the inmates to bring suits against this uh, denial of freedom of uh, receiving particular literature, specifically on the basis of their refusal to allow these kinds of materials for Eldridge Cleaver, who is a writer and a staff writer for Ramparts Magazine, and it's very important that he receive these. But it's also important that other prisoners be allowed to read whatever literature they want, and that many of the restrictions and the censorship of incoming and outgoing mail and literature be removed in order to begin to break down some of the very corrosive barriers placed in the society outside. Uh, the press has apparently, you feel, led you astray in more ways than one. Last year they led you into the chambers. Um, and um, as I gather it, you, do, you don't feel that, by and large, press coverage of the Black Panther Party has been fair. Uh, what would you like to say about that? Well, in the first one, in the lack of fairness of the Black Panther Party, the lack of fairness in the press coverage of the Black Panther Party, the basis of the Black Panther Party is a 10-point program, which was drawn up by Bobby Seale and Huey Newton, printed in 1,000 copies and distributed throughout Oakland before any form of patrols or any form of organizational activity was initiated. This was the first step to draw up a platform to represent the basic political desires and needs of the black community and to organize to bring these, make these desires and needs into a reality. Point number seven on that program was that we want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. Point number one on that program is that we want power to determine the destiny of our black communities. Point number 10 on that program was a summarization of many of the points stating that we want land, housing, bread, education, clothing, justice, and peace. 
Now, in all the reporting of the Black Panther Party in the entire year that it's been in, year and a half that it's been in existence, I have yet to see, with the exception of about two weeks ago in the People's World, any reporting of this particular platform. In fact, we feel that the entire coverage of the Black Panther Party has been to create a very hostile and frightening image in the white press to just repression initiated against the party by the police departments in the minds of the white citizens, which means, in fact, that the press is involved in manipulating the racist feelings in the public so that they will not feel outraged by the outrageous activities that the police are engaged in against the Black Panther Party. That's the first thing, denial of reporting concerning the program. And the second thing is that they reported the trip to Sacramento last year, which was a political act to make a political statement concerning the political activities of the state legislature in passing and changing the gun laws as an invasion of the state capital by a gang of thugs and hoodlums. They did not care to report that Huey Newton had an AA degree from Merritt College and was a law student at the University of San Francisco, that Bobby Seale had been in the U.S. Army, had, was a student at Merritt College, and was a highly qualified Magnafux inspector, married and had a son. They did not go into presenting who the Black Panthers were or what they were about. What they went into was terrifying and intimidating the public by calling the trip to Sacramento an invasion. Now, this is absolutely absurd because anyone with any senses would know that if a group of black people intended to invade the state capitol, they would not do so at high noon with all the press there and attempt to make this a public act. This is not a military act. This is a political statement, and it has been completely turned around. Now, when Huey Newton was shot and arrested in October, when Bobby Seale's house was surrounded and he was Ill illegally arrested and thrown in jail and charged with a conspiracy to commit murder. He and his wife when and was shot and Bobby Hutton murdered and the latest raid on the Black Panther Party. All the coverage that the press has given, they have referred back to the Black Panthers as a group that invaded the state legislature last May, led an armed group to the state legislature. What's happened, we see that there's a, a intense fascination on the part of the white press with guns that these guns that the Black Panthers carry have become the focus of all the press and have generated a quite a bit of fear, whereas the guns of the police that occupy our community that are used to murder and intimidate and brutalize black people day in and day out are not even a matter for concern. And this is the only the first purpose for carrying the guns publicly, to bring attention to the fact that it is the police with their guns who are committing genocide against black people. But instead, the press goes completely haywire and talks about how horrible it is that these Panthers run around with guns, when in fact, the horrible thing is the police who misuse their guns. The Panthers' use of guns has always been defensive and want to prevent violence and to gain the respect of the police in order to be able to protect themselves and have the right to stand up and say something about how the police are acting without being thrown in jail. But whereas they are t tremendously horrified by the guns of the Panthers, they do not seem to find anything unusual about the guns of the police, which have been used in tremendous amount of unnecessary and racist violence. While we're on the subject of <clears throat> words in print, which is essentially what the press is, do you agree with me? Um, I, having just, just read uh, Eldridge's book, Soul on Ice, and, and coming away feeling, you know, that it was a very, very important thing to read now. Uh, do you feel that his book is going to help the Panthers get their message across to white America? Well, I think Soul on Ice is, at this point, the most significant book available. I think that all white people in particular and black people in general should read Soul on Ice because this is the book that allows the people as individuals relating to 
a black prisoner as an individual to break through the lies and constructs of the power structure, to break through racism, to relate to a black man as a very warm, intelligent, fascinating, and compassionate human being who is not a threat, but in fact, a very beautiful and optimistic writer. I think that the attraction and the fascination that people have with Soul on Ice is one of the most profound attitudes that can be used nationwide to change the structure that we're living in. I've noticed all kinds of people from all walks of life, white, black, and otherwise, having a tremendous response to Soul and Ice. For example, one lady who was working in the city attorney's office in San Francisco after reading Soul and Ice felt compelled to quit and seek employment elsewhere. One of the radio announcers in the Bay Area announced on the radio that after reading Soul on Ice, this is the thing that finally turned him around to see what country. I think it's through the vehicle of literature and not through political speeches, which frighten many people, that has enabled a lot of people to understand what is happening, why it's happening, has given them a very deep perspective onto the attitudes and the problems that black people face and that allows them to approach the situation with some degree of understanding and sympathy instead of fear, hatred, and racism. And I think the fact that uh, Soul and Ice is now a bestseller, it's in its third printing, although it's only been released for about three months, is a marvelous indication of the fact that this book of essays and letters will have some impact on the political situation that we're trying to deal with. I think you asked me something about would that get the message of the Black Panther Party across. I think it will make people much more receptive to what the Black Panther Party has to say, but I think that soul and lies cannot be limited to any extent by the political desires and aims of the Black Panther Party. It's a far broader human document, and I think it will probably enable people, black and white, to relate to each other on a human level. Um, I'll interject at this point a personal note about the book. I'm not only white, I'm originally from the South, and I lived there most of my young life. And I found reading the book to be a very, very moving experience, simply because I had never before, from, from any source, been able to look at uh, the white man from the black man's point of view, as I managed to do through the eyes of Eldridge Cleaver. And dealt with, uh, well, primarily, I think, uh, in, in the whole question of the sex ethic, which, which is part of the, the cultural myth that, you know, that we've grown up with in this country. I found myself profoundly moved by the fact that, uh, that he had his finger where it was. And, uh, well, could I ask you a question? Did that change your political perspective to any extent? Uh, it, it changed. It, it deepened it. I, I think that you answered that yourself. I, I didn't change it because I was already very interested in the Panthers and, and also in, in the plight of the black people in this country and have been for some time. But it gave it an added dimension, an added depth, something you know that I could sort of fall back on and made me feel it more. I think also the very fact that this book, Soul and Ice, was written in the penitentiary, that it had to be smuggled out of the penitentiary against the wishes of the people who run the prison system in the state of California, and that as a result of his political activities proceeding from the philosophy outlined in Soul and Ice, that Eldridge Cleaver is now again in the penitentiary, I think that this will give people a tremendous insight on the type of system that black people are up against, that when Soul on Ice is written by a prisoner and this very same prisoner is thrown back into this prison, that people can see that there's something profoundly out of order with the prison system 
and therefore with the entire society of which it is the most foul part. I also hope and believe that the widespread reading of this book will be the vehicle through which it would be possible to get Eldridge Cleaver outside of the prison once more back into this insane, horrible world where his vision and his humanity and his understanding and his political direction is so desperately needed. I think it will take just public demand, a tremendous, massive public demand to get him out, and I think Saul and Ice will be very instrumental in instigating this demand. Uh, would you tell us something about what's been happening as far as Eldridge's case is concerned, the grand jury and so on, how, what you've been dealing with in terms of trying to get him back out? Well, the first thing we've been dealing with is a massive move on the part of the Oakland Police Department to liquidate the leadership of the Black Panther Party, which initiated with the attempted assassination of Huey Newton on October 28th. At this point, Eldridge Cleaver who had been commanded, ordered by the California Adult Authority to stay politically inactive, to make no speeches, to not appear on television, to publish nothing of any political content, overruled all of these orders and began to build at a tremendous pace a defense campaign for Huey Newton. This brought him smack into the public eye. He had to make many speeches, write many articles, attend many meetings, and become deeply involved in the activities of the Black Panther Party and also the Peace and Freedom Party. This is when it became very clear that he was up against not only the adult authorities, political opposition, and the Oakland Police Department's political opposition, but the national political opposition directed toward the black liberation struggle and its leaders. Regardless, as he stated himself, he felt that securing Huey Newton's freedom was far more himself out of San Quentin, so he took no caution whatsoever and moved as hard and as fast as he could politically to build a massive support campaign, which I think all of us have seen the fruits of. On March 16th, at the Peace and Freedom Party founding convention, he delivered a position paper titled "National uh, Revolution in the White Mother Country and National Liberation in the Black Colony, in which he outlined a very revolutionary and clear perspective that he had developed over a period of time towards the dual movements going on in this country, the black liberation struggle and the white peace movement directed toward a revolutionary change in the power structures of the white country, in which he proposed a mechanism of dealing with this change. He said that we needed a type of organization that could deal both with the political in the white society and in the black society simultaneously. He also proposed the idea of a black plebiscite in which black people would vote to determine what status they wanted in the United States, whether that of a sovereign nation or that of citizens of this country, and also call for UN observers to be stationed in the black ghettos to observe the police brutality. It's at this point, at that public statement of this particular political objective, that I feel that he was zeroed in by the power structure, I mean, I might as well come out and say it, by the CIA. For it was after Malcolm X had made a move to take our problems to the UN that he was shortly assassinated. It was after Martin Luther King, uh, very intense activities with poor whites and with the Mexican American Mexican American community, and had also blamed the U.S. Congress for the instigating the riots in the black communities throughout this country. That he was quickly assassinated. And it was after Eldridge had developed a very powerful coalition between the Black Panther Party and the Peace and Freedom Party and the Mexican-American community and moved towards a U.N. solution that there was an attempt made to assassinate him. This attempt was directed primarily on the local level against 
the defense campaign that this coalition had waged for Huey Newton, but nationally it was directed towards removing this type of national leadership that had proposed a workable solution to our problems in a non-racist and revolutionary manner. The resulting activities of the police and the courts indicate that following this unsuccessful attempt to assassinate Eldridge on April 6th, that the entire weight of this case of uh, attempted murder and assault on a police officer with a deadly weapon has been thrown on him, whereas the other six, other seven Panthers arrested in this case were charged with two counts of assault on a police officer with a deadly weapon and two counts of attempted murder. Eldridge has been charged with three counts of assault on a police officer with a deadly weapon and three counts of attempted murder, which would, if convicted and sentenced, would just result in life imprisonment. His parole was immediately revoked, giving him three years in the penitentiary right away without any hearing or filing of criminal charges or even filing of uh, parole violation charges. He was given this overnight, immediately upon being arrested. The testimony that the police attempted to falsify from other members of the Black Panther Party, forcing them at gunpoint and under extreme duress and going through all kinds of lies and intimidations and illegal practices, denying them counsel and so forth, the effort was to force all the Panthers to throw the weight of this particular activity on Eldridge because it's clear that uh, this is the one that they're most interested in immobilizing. I love that particular question. Uh, have you had a chance to talk to the people who were intimidated by the police, or are they, have they been unavailable? I've heard this comment raised several times, and I, and I wonder uh, if, if the, you could give us some information that would sort of uh, back it up further. No, I haven't had a chance to talk to them because they're prisoners in the Alameda County Court. But our attorneys have gotten sworn affidavits from every one of them to this effect that have been filed in the federal suit against Oakland in our injunction. It's very interesting that in the grand jury testimony that the statements that the police got, which were revoked by these affidavits, were introduced as evidence, and the police were forced to present these statements, whereas the individuals who supposedly signed these statements were not available to testify, which indicates the use to which they wanted to put this information. Have you seen Eldridge recently, and if so, how is he, and how are you, by the way? The last time I saw Eldridge was Saturday morning. As every time I've seen him, he was in very tremendously high spirits, which is the source of continuing and profound amazement to me and everyone else that visits him, that uh, Eldridge is not daunted at all. He's very anxious to get out of the penitentiary. However, if he is not gotten out immediately, there are many organizational political activities that he can engage in while in the penitentiary. One of the first things that he has initiated now is a move to establish a legal fund inside the penitentiary to hire a group of lawyers at the Peace and Freedom Party and the Black Panther to take the legal cases of many inmates in the prison system against the uh, Department of Corrections to, uh, to wage a full-scale assault on all their various arbitrary and unnecessary and brutal intimidations and denial of freedoms of their inmates. In terms of the way he's being treated, it's absolutely atrocious. When he was taken from the burning house to Highland Hospital, immediately being thrown in the paddy wagon, the Oakland police began to kick and beat and push him around. Although he was practically blinded from the tear gas and his body was covered with burns all over, 
because he came out of the house stark naked. When he was taken to the hospital to the emergency room, the police were so anxious to beat him and, and uh, force him to give them a statement that they practically got into fights with the nurse's aides that were trying to wipe the, wash the tear gas out of his hair and out of his face. When it was time, when his lawyer came to the hospital to see him, they immediately sent him away with a ruse and told him that they could, he could catch up with Eldridge at the Oakland City Jail. When they took Eldridge out to put him in the ambulance, although he was in a wheelchair and he couldn't walk and he could hardly see, they, the authorities asked him would he please walk to the ambulance so that the people outside, the crowd of people who had gathered, would not think he was too badly hurt, which he refused to do. When they took him to the Oakland City Jail to book him, they, he was forced to lie down on the floor while he was booked, then replaced in the ambulance and taken to San Quentin in the middle of the night, at which point he was put in the hospital, but he was also, they also sent in him and demand a statement about his activities that night, and he continued to demand to see his lawyer. All this time now, since he left the emergency room, he had not yet had a chance to talk to his lawyer which is a deliberate move on the part of the police. That morning, the lawyer called San Quentin to arrange to see Eldridge, and he was told that they couldn't tell him where Eldridge was for security reasons, but at 10 o'clock, they would call him and inform him where they had taken him. At that point, we found out that he was in the state medical facility at Vacaville, California, at which point, Attorney Hoffman and I got on the road to go to Vacaville to see him. When we arrived there, Eldridge, who had, we had been told was sent to Vacaville for medical treatment, was in the hole at Vacaville in a room where there was absolutely no ventilation, and he couldn't call for help if he needed it. We arranged to have him put back into the hospital. After being put in the hospital, he was kept under maximum security to an extent greater than any other prison prisoner at Vacaville. He was not allowed to go in and out for meals, for exercise, for anything. The only time he was allowed out was when any members of his family, such as myself or his sister or his attorney, came to visit him. And even then, they attempted to deny and interfere with that privilege, making me wait an hour to half an hour to an hour before I could see Eldridge with the excuse that they had to find him. Now, they, they were, it was easier for them to find Eldridge Cleaver than any other prisoner in that penitentiary because they had him in one spot. However, I was forced to wait. His attorney was intimidated and forced to... They, every time he'd go up there, they try and force him to leave at 3.30 at the end of regular visiting hours, acting as if the counseling with an attorney was some sort of privilege that they allowed instead of all people accused of a crime. They have denied Eldridge the access to his typewriter, access to the books that I sent in, such as a dictionary and a few books on black history. They have returned manu uh, articles, material mailed to him by Ramparts magazine, and have refused to allow his publishers, McGraw-Hill, to receive manuscripts from him. Dr. Shapiro of the Medical Committee of Human Rights attempted to send a couple of private physicians in to see Eldridge to check his leg and to check on his eyes that had been very seriously burned by this nerve gas that was poured into this house, who were denied permission to come in. I mean, there has been every attempt possible made to interfere and eliminate contact with the outside world that's very, very dangerous and has to be ended for Eldridge's safety because murders in the penitentiary are not unlikely. Uh, when you've spoken to Eldridge, does, does he seem uh, like he's getting enough food or and enough enough medical attention or, or does there does there seem to be a real problem in that in that area aside from the freedoms that he's not been granted yes he told me that the authorities there seem to do everything they possibly can to harass him as if they're trying to provoke him such as leaving his food outside to get cold and not letting him see his mail, just any little thing they can do to annoy, harass him, they'll do. Although he hasn't complained too much about this since there's so many other things happening, it is a very serious problem.
Do you uh, feel personally that if he hadn't been wounded and had tried to get up and run when the police uh, apparently told uh, Bobby and he to get up and run today? I feel that if Eldridge had not walked out of that burning house stark naked that he would have been murdered right there. He would have been brutally assassinated. He feels this is so, and I feel that that's the only reason that he wasn't killed, that he came out and it was such a shock to the policemen to see a stark naked man that they were startled and didn't shoot him. Maybe maybe you sh uh, could tell us just briefly what happened uh, the night that, that he was shot. Uh, do you, you know, like what, what went on. They came out of the house apparently and uh, were, were on the ground. Is, is that right? And then they were told eventually to get up and go to a car. Well, it's still not too clear, and but essentially what happened was a an advanced group of policemen were following a group of panthers and attacked them or threatened them in some kind of way and the panthers after being vamped on by a whole mass of police cars and policemen scattered in many directions some of them going to the basement of this house on 28th Street. Now, the policeman, I feel, knew who was in the house because of all the Panthers in the neighborhood, they concentrated their fire on this particular house, which my husband and Bobby Hutton were inside for almost two hours. This house was bombarded with machine guns and all kinds of high-powered rifles and handguns. The bullets went from the front all the way to the back of the house. They poured tear gas, which was not a normal type nerve gas, because to this day, and burning from this gas uh, almost three weeks after they threw it in the house. They threw so much tear gas in this house that at 6 o'clock the next day, it was impossible to walk through there without uh, coughing and having your eyes burning. In fact, a week later, the tear gas was still in the house. And after not getting anyone to come out, they set the house on fire. And at this point, Eldridge called to say that he would come out. He, at the point that the police ceased fire, the policemen rushed up to the basement of the house where they were captured, and they accompanied Eldridge and Bobby Hutton out of the house. They were there at the door. They were there in the front. They were all around. They had the house completely surrounded. Now, the shots that were fired into Bobby Hutton, I found out recently, fired, there were five shots and 19 wounds. Three of these shots came from the back, one from the side, and one from the front. It means it was an outright brutal murder. Eldridge was wounded, and he couldn't walk. And I know they asked him to get up and run, but he couldn't move. I think the very fact that it was clear that he was wounded, it was clear that he was naked, and there were people standing around at that time that prevented them from murdering him. I also know that Warren Wells, who was lying on the ground in the vicinity of the house wounded, told me that one of the police officers, when they found out that he wasn't dead, that he was only wounded, asked the lieutenant, can I kill him, can I kill him, can I kill him? We could say he was wounded in the gun battle. Right then and there, wanted to murder him. If the police had had their way, all of the Panthers, they Okay, um, I, I have one last question, and that is, how are you and Bobby holding out in terms of, in terms of keeping the organization going? I, I overheard you say uh, on the way up on the bus a few hours ago that you'd been told to stay in bed for two days and weren't allowed to do anything, and uh, apparently you're somewhat refreshed over what you probably have been recently. How do you feel now, and how does Bobby feel? Well, I feel that we are in a position, well, I should say it like this, that in the letter Eldridge wrote me, in the first letter he wrote from the penitentiary, said that regardless of what happens, our people are coming into their own day. We're moving for power, and we're going to win, and we know that. The only feeling 
that's negative is that we have so little time, there's so much work to be done. We need the help and the support that we can get. I don't, I mean, it's been a very tremendous, overwhelming loss to us of not having the political direction and coordination and just power of Eldridge Cleaver to uh, help us along this course. But I think that in the Oakland community, the Oakland Bay Area community, black community in general, and in the party in particular, there has been a greater sense of cohesiveness since this latest assault that we have be gotten, we have become closer together, that we feel stronger and even more intensely determined to do what we were doing because we know that if the federal government from the federal government to the local police authorities, there is a calculated and systematic move to destroy the Black Panther Party and our political activities is the best thing that has to be done. And we will continue this. There's nothing that can stop us. We're getting an immense amount of support all over the community. I think, as Eldridge said, that it's become clear that 1968 is the year of the Panther. Thank you very much.